Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by guest speaker Ashanti Petaway, who is the founder of A Clearer View, a nonprofit focused on serving the church and broader community through building mentally, emotionally, and spiritually healthy people. He's preaching from Philemon verses 8 through 16. You know, when you think of uh, different social statuses and uh, setups within society and culture, you know that there, there are obvious systems that show their tears to this world we live in. Uh, one of the simple ways we know is you've got lower class, uh, middle class, upper class, and they say the 1%. Uh, and in those situations, you see this hierarchy of order, and it often means that there's a certain level of uh, lack of equality in the aspect that, that people are treated different. Lower class, uh, usually being the worst, middle class being not that much better, upper class being the upper echelon, then that 1% that we don't know exists or don't know who they are. I think that's the whole, you know, the, 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 the whole, all the conspiracy theories come from the 1%. Uh, but in, in this situation, you see these variations of levels. And although it should not be done this way, many people live out of those structures. And therefore, even a certain level of value is attributed or accepted by individuals in those levels. You may even see this in different cultures where you see how there are different classes of people who are treated differently based off of their perceived value. All of us have been to school, and even in high school, you saw these tiers. Although it wasn't set based off of finances, it was based off of your position and status within the social structure. You had the athletes, you had the cheerleaders, the popular crew. You had the goths that were kind of strange and cut to the sides. You had the nerds, and you had all that in between. And based off of these levels determined how you were treated. In both of these scenarios, there was only one solution to resolve and help the position that you were in. From a socioeconomic standpoint, we're looking at finances and all those things. The only way to up your position was to do what? Make more or obtain more money. The only way for me to move from lower class to middle class to the upper class and have better value and quality of life is for me to obtain more money, for you and I to get richer. In high school, the only thing we could do was somehow transform and become more cool so we could be more popular to become the athlete, to become the beauty queen, to become the individual who is worthy to be praised and celebrated. And if you were unable to do that, you were just left to live in the position and status that you had. And quite frankly, depending on where you were, if you weren't in that upper class, that could be quite depressing. But there's a beauty in in our God. Because what, what the gospel does is it completely disrupts those structures. It disrupts those systems. And the gospel says to us that, listen, you are all equal. The very thing that the Declaration of Independence was trying to do was actually a gospel move. But they didn't realize the fullness of the gospel. The gospel move says that, listen, there is equality in all now because we are all sinners only saved by grace. In today's text, we get to see this beautiful structure of how the gospel changes our status. As we look at this small letter by Paul, Philemon, it's not long. It's only 25 25 verses. 
And oftentimes, because it's so small, and it's right before Hebrews, and everybody loves to go to Hebrews because it has the, uh, the, uh, the chronological, the guys of faith, and all these stories. It's like, oh, I know Hebrews. But Philemon gets neglected. Titus, you might go to. It's right beforehand. But Philemon is just like, ah. But in here, there's, there's a rich understanding to be gained just in these 25 verses. And I dare say, very valuable because it helps us have a better perspective of what some of Pauline's teachings have been in previous books, like Ephesians and Colossians. But first, we have to deal with the, the elephant in the room. There's this context here that speaks of slavery. Philemon being a master. And Paul is speaking to his brother in the faith on behalf of Onesimus who was a slave. Now we know that, or I should say, we must recognize that there is a difference between our understanding of what happened here in the U.S. of North American slavery and that of biblical slavery. It's not that one was better than the other, but they were significantly different in motives. North American slavery was based off of ethnicity. So Africans transported over here and enslaved uh, I actually went, remember seeing a documentary of even how some Chinese who were transferred over had been enslaved to actually develop the transcontinental railroad. And so you have all these things taking place here in the States that are strictly based off of ethnicity, with white Europeans being the superior. However, in the scriptures, it has nothing to do with race. It's very much you could be a slave because you were uh, a you, your, your country had been overtaken, so you're, you're a slave because of war. You actually had some people who stepped into slavery intentionally because they owed a debt that was too big for them, and that was their way of working back that payment. But by becoming a slave, it could also provide household stability for the family. You have variations of slavery that existed in Scripture, and I would say that it does not make it okay but what Scripture speaks to is this equality factor that is brought forth because of the blood of Jesus Christ. In Roman culture at this time, slavery could be quite deadly just like it was here. Again, it wasn't ethnically based, yet and still, for a slave, which we gather from here, the Onesimus may have done Philemon wrong. It is believed by some theologians that he actually may have taken some property or some type of financial gain as he ran away. And according to their Roman culture at that time, his sentence should have been brutal. It says historically that some slaves who had done things wrong and violated their master had even been crucified. So what is due to him supposedly would have been something tragic. But in this text, Paul does something that is amazing through the power of the Holy Spirit in penning this. He opens our lives in light to the difference of the gospel and what it does in the life of believers. Paul opens up by making an appeal. It's interesting that he, he states this in verse 8. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now, prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child, Omnisimus. 
when we look at this text, Paul opens up by, by making a statement that I think is very powerful. He says that although I have the apostolic authority to command you on what to do right now, I'm appealing to your heart. He says that I could tell you what to do as an apostle, as the ministry leader from whom which you got saved under, Philemon, he, he had a house church. He actually was saved under Paul's ministry. And so he says, I have the spiritual authority to command you. Paul says, I'm appealing to you, and he appeals to his heart. This is a beautiful picture here because it reminds us of what actually moves people. God could throw down the gauntlet and be very hard with his people. But as you look from the old to the new, there's this beauty in which the gentleness and kindness in which God deals with his people as well. Think about it. Israel's disobedience continued regularly, but his response, although they did have to pay some cost, it was often layered with grace, mercy, and love. And as I thought about this text right here in Paul's position, I found it interesting that from a personal perspective, that's probably one of the hardest things for us to deal with. When we have the authority based off of our title, based off our position, to speak something and command someone to do something, but instead, imagine if we appeal to them in their heart. Now, I know that you may be saying, you're like, well, Shanti, that, that's applicable to a believer because they have a heart that's supposed to be anchored in Christ to, to appeal to. But I still believe that even if it's an unbeliever, when you appeal to people's hearts, even if still not saved by grace, it can, it can soften a response. It can allow what it is you have to be, to, to give to them to be received differently. How many of you guys have had a boss who comes in shouting out orders and demands? They don't say hello, they're not kind, they're just, da da da, do this, do this, do this. How many of you guys enjoy that? Does anybody? Do you ever get those responses and say, you know what? I've just got a great heart of service today. Let me just do what they said. They called me a jerk, cussed me out, but I'm going to go forth and enjoy it. Is that our response? But have you ever had that leader, that person in charge who comes to you with authority, with the power and position, but in a gentle, loving, appealing to your heart, saying, hey, here's the vision. Here's what we're trying to do. We need you in order to do this. Don't you, doesn't your response change? You may have the same action as far as what you actually do, but the heart in which it's done is different. Because how you were approached and how you received it is in a much different way. There was an appeal made to your heart, your value, saying, hey, I'm not going to command this of you, even though I could, but I want here. This is why we should move this direction. As I thought about this from a practical level, there are ways in which we maybe need to engage this as parents in our relationships with our children, in our marriages with our spouse, in our family relationships with our mother and father, aunts, uncles, cousins, and friends, amongst the family of faith. What does it look like for us to instead taking on the position of authority and commanding to appeal to our brothers and sisters from the heart? Speaking of the love and reminding them of the love of the gospel and saying, hey, this is why 
I'm asking you to respond and move in this direction. This beautiful appeal is then followed up of this translating of this idea of a new relationship that has been developed. Again, Philemon is a man of wealth in a position of power. And he's also been serving in the local church. Again, the gospel has transformed his heart. And Paul does something here that he did earlier in Ephesians and some few other places. is where this idea where he brings equality to a structure that says there should be no equality here. If you look at verse 15 and 16, it says this. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So now Paul is, is helping Philemon recognize that, listen, he's not just even your slave when he comes back. It's almost as if he's indirectly telling Philemon that the idea of slavery should no longer even exist within his mindset. He's just saying, listen, yes, he can come back, he can serve, he can work, but, but even greater than that is recognize he is now your brother. Now, from a cultural perspective, that would have been an offense. No matter where you were within society, there was an obvious differentiation between the slave and the master. And so for the idea of them being equal would have been offensive. It would have been an atrocity. It would have made no sense culturally. But what Paul is saying and has been saying throughout the Scriptures, the Scriptures have been constantly reminding us, is that the gospel flips culture on its head. And now says, you have a new position. No, your finances have not changed. No, you haven't become more popular in the examples we gave earlier. None of those things in the natural have happened. But one thing has happened is that you have now been redeemed and set free. You were once dead to your sins and trespasses. Now you're alive in Christ Jesus. You were once a lost child, but now you can scream out, Abba, Father, as adopted children of God. And in God's order and structure, he says, all is equal. I don't look at your position and say you're better. I don't look at your financial status and say you're better. I don't look at your social status and say, oh, he's a little more cool. I like that saint over that one. That was a little lame. God doesn't do that. God looks down at his children, at his creation, and says, those who have accepted my son, put their faith in him, I see them through the lens of my son's blood, and because of that, you are all good with me. And this unifying blood makes you co-laborers in the faith, equal in status, no lesser or greater value. You're all mine. And I treasure and value you as my creation. And what we see here is that Paul's not pulling on this idea like you could have said accept him just because you should accept him. He's saying, no, I want you to recognize that, listen, this same gospel that you received, he's received now. 
And Paul even argues in that opening part of verse 15, he's saying, perhaps in God's sovereignty, this is why Onesimus ran. Because in him running, he came in contact with the preacher. He came in contact with Paul. So now he's been saved. He's been working with Paul. He's been Paul's disciple. Paul calls him his spiritual son. He's been walking in tandem with him, serving him faithfully. His life has been renewed and regenerated. And Paul is saying, maybe for this very reason is why he left. And so now I can send him back in the natural as a, as a human being, as somebody you had working for you. But now I'm sending him back not just as that, but as your brother in the faith, which means he's with you forever in eternity now. The status has been changed. And the beauty of that is this, is that it's not contingent on what the society says. It strictly hinges on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are in the tier, I don't get to say, well, you know, I was in the lower class, impoverished, oppressed people, so now that I'm saved, I'm better than you because you are oppressive people. No. The same forgiveness that was required for me is the same forgiveness that was required for them. That says to you, yeah, I hate what they did to me and they hurt me and I know I'm saved now and they're saved now, but you know what? I'm better because I didn't do what they did to me. No. The gospel says is that while you were yet sinners, you and them, Christ died for you. It's this beauty that says, listen, even though in our culture you can actually do some things to move up the ladder, social media makes that really possible. There are certain ways you can buy yourself into relationships that can bring your status up. But the gospel says this, is that, listen, I don't value you based off of what you can produce for me. The gospel says to us that we are valued just because you're mine. And you've put your faith in me. And so as we see this appeal made out of love, and then this new relationship that is shared. Paul asked for his wrongdoings to be pardoned. In verse 17, it says this, Paul speaking to Philemon. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, owes you anything, charge that to my account. And in this section right here, these verses, it's almost as if you, you've got to love how the Holy Spirit works. It's taking us back to the gospel. Paul has spoken, making an appeal out of love to the heart of Philemon. He shared the beauty of what the gospel has done in the heart of Omniscious. And now where their relationship is. Then Paul takes this other grand step saying, listen, whatever was owed to you, not only do I want you to receive him as me, you will receive me, but charge it to my account. Charge it to my account. I didn't do it, but charge it to my account. I never did you wrong. I didn't violate you. Charge it to my account. Yes, I preached to you and you got saved under my ministry. And he wronged you, but charge it to my account. 
We were liars. We were thieves. We were deceptive. We had sexual addictions. We had drug addictions. We had mean hearts. We had wicked words. We had slothful actions. We had lazy personalities. We had hatred. We had abuse. The list goes on and on and on and on. Of ways in which we were just foul. And I need us to understand this. I don't know what season of life you got saved in. And there may be those of you here who aren't saved yet. But regardless of what your issue was or is, I want you to know, even though it may not look as bad as the other person, it may not be as obvious as the other person's, it still required the same sacrifice. Somebody says, well, no, I've never done anything like that. I've never embezzled money. I've never beat anybody up or jumped anybody. But you've been deceitful. You've been dishonest in how you carry yourself at times. You've lied. And the same requirement is required. Death. A perfect sacrifice is required. And we see this beautiful reflection of the gospel here. Through Paul, Philemon, Omniscious, is this idea that's saying, listen, charge it to me. And that is what Christ did. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He took the cup. Because he knew that this was the only way for us to have a possibility of being reconciled with the Father. This is after he walked sinless, loved the very creation that abused him, gave his life freely at a very expensive cost, saying, listen, Heavenly Father, I know why you have sent me. And I know I've got to drink this cup, which is why I can say, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm taking this on behalf of those who have not paid the cost. I'm taking this on behalf of those who actually deserve to pay the cost. I'm taking this not only because I want to do your will, but because of the love that lives within me and with us as a triune God. And because of that, we've been set free. Because of that, we can rejoice. The gospel, and only the gospel, can truly change your status. You may move up the ranks in society and culture, in your workspace, in your family, but the only thing that authentically changes your status is the gospel. Receive that. Embrace that. 
As my sister told me this morning, she was praying for me before I preached. She was like, we must remember to take joy in the work of the cross and nothing else. Because even when life isn't going how we'd like, situations aren't being resolved as quickly as we like, and things aren't in the forecast looking as good as we like them to look. We always have a reason to rejoice. The joy of the Lord is our strength. All the other things I mentioned are based off our feelings and circumstances. The only anchor we have is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so that's why it can remain my strength at all times, because it is secure. It's God. It's not contingent on whatever else happens in my life. It's the fact that he gave himself for me, and I received this gift. And therefore, I can have joy. Because I was once lost, a slave to sin, but now I've been set free. We were all lost, slaves to sin, but now we are set free. Freedom in Christ is the greatest gift we'll ever receive. I encourage you that as you're reminded of your new position in your faith, that you walk in it. As you look through the New Testament, there's this constant reminder to the people of this new life in Christ and this reminder of this former life of sin you used to live. We're constantly having to be reminded of who we are in our new status and to live according to that new status in Christ Jesus. So, yes, some of us have history from our culture, from our background, of slavery, other forms of hardship. But we've been set free. We've been set free. Walk in the freedom that you now have. And it's my prayer for those who are here today who don't have that freedom who have questions, know this, God is not afraid of your questions. You won't catch them off guard. And quite frankly, you can't really offend them. Just ask. Because the funny thing is this, he knows you don't believe already. And he knows that you have your reasons for not believing. Just ask him for the answers. And in no way am I God. But I do say I'm welcome to answer any questions you have after service as best of my ability. And if I can't answer, we'll pray and trust God together that he will. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and thank you for your word. As there are different celebrations that are held within our culture and society to celebrate this quote-unquote freedom, we recognize that there are still millions of people across the world and in this United States who are still not independent. They are still not set free from the bondage of sin. We pray, Lord God, that you would allow our lives to reflect you in such a way that they begin to ask questions about what makes us different. And then we have opportunities to represent you to them as a loving Savior and God who requires faith because there is 
a sin that has to be dealt with. But let them receive what Christ has done for them already. I pray, Lord God, for those of us who are walking, knowing you for years or just a few weeks or just a day, that we would always be reminded of our new position, covered under the blood, that we not see ourselves as better than those within our Christian family, nor do we see ourselves as better than, than those who are not a part of the family of faith. But instead, let our hearts weep and break for those who are lost and do not know you. And may we then step forward making appeals to the heart, not commands under the law. To speak truth, but to speak truth in love, saturated with mercy, grace, and compassion. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.